the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to be back home. Vacations, conferences are all good, but being home is much better, I think. So glad I was able to be away, but even happier to be with you tonight, although it sounds like the rain has now commenced. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Now, in most times of the year, our first reading, of the, our, first reading our first lesson of the day tells the story of God's people from the Old Testament. We hear stories from how God has kept and loved his people in the distant past. Now, during Easter, from our perspective, we still hear stories from the distant past, but it's a little bit newer. The stories we read about are from the early church. The book of Acts lets us know that those who came before us in the faith were not like statues, they're not like the stained glass you see around you. They're not perfect, always removed from doubt and fear. No, if you read the book of Acts, you will see moments of healing, moments of great faith, and moments of almost exponential growth. But as you read Acts, you'll also read trials and tribulations. Time when God spoke to his apostles and told them not to be afraid. Times when he told them, what I told you I was going to do, I'm still going to fulfill, even if it doesn't look like it. And today we read that Peter stood up and addressed the people, asking them what was going on. This is on the day of Pentecost. He says, Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And that's the crux of what's going on. Forty days before Jesus had been crucified, the same Jesus, Peter says, has been resurrected. And that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. And because of that, Peter can say to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins will be forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, and for your children, and all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. All God calls us to do in response is to change and be baptized. And what happens, our sins are forgiven. And not just those in Jerusalem, not just God's chosen people. That promise extends to all of us, wherever we are. Whoever our parents are, whatever life in this broken world has brought us through, God's love extends to each and every one of us. We haven't even gotten to our gospel lesson yet. The book of Acts says, So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Here we see that on the day that God's Spirit is poured on his church, his church grows. His family grows from about 120 to well over 3,000. Why? God's mercy is great. Many of those 3,000 were the ones calling out on that Good Friday, crucifying, crucifying. And here we are, 40 days later, with Peter calling them to repentance and them accepting. Our psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he's heard the voice of my supplication, because he's inclined his ear to me whenever I call on him. God hears us. That was true whenever in, in the psalmist days. Today when we pray, God hears us. We don't always get the answer as quickly as we want. And sometimes the answer is not what we want. But the creator of heaven and earth hears us. Why? Because he loves us. The psalmist says, I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. Because of God's love and faithfulness, 
The God who Peter said would forgive her, forgive whoever was near or far. They'll be forgiven. In the courts of the house of the Lord in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, alleluia. The psalmist is excited. He's been saved and delivered from his own death, he says. But he knows the Lord is with him. In our gospel this evening, we get an interesting story. It starts like this. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Now we're back on that Easter day. It's the afternoon. These two men are walking home. They run into someone they think is a stranger. The stranger asks them, what's going on? What are they talking about? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that has taken place there in these days? Well, let's back up for a second and explain who the church says Cleopas was. Cleopas is Joseph's brother. Joseph being Mary and Joseph. You know, the one that we, we have the manger scene there, that Joseph. Mary's brother-in-law, Jesus' uncle. His wife, one of the other Marys, was at the crucifixion with, with Mary, her sister-in-law. Just keep all that straight. There'll be a test on all the Marys later on. Now I have a question. Have you ever gone a stretch of time without seeing a niece or a nephew, or maybe an aunt or an uncle? Now, if it's an aunt and an uncle and spend a little bit of time, do you still recognize them the next time you see them? Sure. They may be a little bit more gray, a little bit less hair, a few more wrinkles, but they're still the same person you know. But what happens with those nieces and nephews? You don't see them for a few years. I know during COVID, some of us didn't see our families in person for two and sometimes three years. And what happens to those little fellows, those little gals, in that time period? They gain a foot or two or three, right? They go from being short and cute to being moody teenagers sometimes. But here we are, we're in a situation where his uncle hasn't seen him in, what, three, four, five days? And he doesn't recognize him. This is someone who's known Jesus since he was born, who I'm sure helped watch him growing up. The Gospels tells us the story that when Jesus was 12, he stayed at the temple to talk because Mary and Joseph thought, Jesus is hanging out with all of his cousins. Chances are Cleopas and his wife Mary were amongst those aunts and uncles in that group traveling with him back and forth to Nazareth. Nazareth. So when he says, are you a stranger that you do not know what's going on? It's personal. When he says, we thought he was the Messiah, that he was a mighty prophet and full of power, he was not talking about someone he'd met two or three years ago. But someone he has known all of his life and knows well. He has a hope that Jesus was the one. And he seems to think that with his death, that ended his possibility of being the Messiah. But as they're telling their story, he says, but listen, some of our women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. When they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they'd seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Astounding thing is the body's gone. The women found the tomb empty and claimed they saw him. And Peter and John run there and still don't see him. And what happens? By the afternoon, Cleopas and friend leave. 
and start to go back home. They leave before Jesus comes back to the upper room. And when Jesus walks in and meets them again, he finds them unconvinced by the rumors of his resurrection. What does Jesus do? He sighs, he says a couple things, and then he says, then it says, the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And after everything that had happened, all the miracles they had seen, they still didn't fully understand. And he begins to patiently explain it all once again. Everything about himself, it says, in Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets, yay thick. It says he explained it all to them. Seven mile walk will give you that amount of time, I guess. But notice, even when he's expounding scripture, even when he's saying, listen, you don't understand this about Jesus, they still don't recognize him. Our bishop said something a couple weeks ago, something that I've heard in various forums over the years from him and for others in different contexts. But the way he said it this time struck home for me. He said, Jesus was resurrected, not resuscitated. When he was resurrected, something had changed with Jesus, something fundamental. Now, some people in here may have been resuscitated before. And if not, you know people that have been resuscitated. People that come back from the dead. Their hearts stop, their brain functions cease, and thanks to modern medicine, we can bring them back. Do they change? Sometimes, but they still look the same. Maybe a few pounds lighter when they got out of the hospital, but they're the same person. Time and again, we see after the resurrection, people with Jesus who've known him for years, but don't recognize him. His uncle walks seven miles with him, talking the whole way, and doesn't recognize him. They listen to him expound on the Old Testament and how it relates to this Jesus. Jesus himself is doing this, and they still don't know it's him. But as he's about to go on, as they get to Emmaus, they invite him to, into their home. They say, hey, listen, stranger, it's dark, it's getting dark. Why don't you come and eat with us and stay the night? And so he does. And what did Jesus do? As he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And that's when their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Their hospitality that night was rewarded. Jesus blesses the meal and breaks the bread. And then, knowing who he is, he disappears. Jesus being revealed in the blessing and the breaking of the bread. And what do they do? Even though it's nighttime, they jump up and run the seven miles back to Jerusalem. Because the next story in the Gospel of Luke says, what? As the story continues, it says they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And the eleven were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. And then they told him what had happened on the road and how he had made himself known at the breaking of the bread. All they could do was run back on foot. When they arrived, Peter's seen him now. It's funny. The women see angels in Jesus, and they don't believe the women and the angels. Simon Peter sees something, suddenly, ah, it's got to be true. Simon saw it. But now Cleopas and his friend stop and tell their story. Jesus comes to them. Funny thing is, the immediate next story in Luke says this. While they were still considering what Cleopas said, Jesus appears to all of them in that upper room. And at first they think he's a ghost, but he convinces them he's not a spirit, but resurrected. Why? 
because they can touch him. The Spirit can't break bread. The Spirit can't touch you. But Jesus goes to them, those same people that ran and hid during his crucifixion. He comes to them and loves them. Peter writes later on, If you invoke his Father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during your time of exile. Now Peter's writing to a church that's in modern-day Turkey. And he starts by reminding them of the resurrection of Jesus and their adoption into God's family. They seem to be struggling with the question, how can I be a good son or daughter to someone who doesn't believe? Back then, family was everything. Whatever the matriarch or the patriarch says goes. And they're wrestling with this, we've become Christians, but there are members of our family that haven't been. How do we live? What do we do? Shouldn't we be honoring our father and mother? And Peter tells them God's their father. And he tells them, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And now he's telling them to live the way God wants them to. Why? You know you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without defect or blemish. He tells them, you have a better inheritance, one bought at a precious price, but one that Peter says was destined from the foundation of the world, revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Peter has, in a few verses before this, reminded them that Jesus' death and resurrection was not plan B. It was not something God did when things didn't go according to plan. No, it was the plan. We see on Monday, Thursday, we see on Good Friday, Jesus occasionally having to stop things and say, no, no, that's me. Go ahead and take me, right? He's in the garden. He tells Judas, hey, it's me. He tells the guards, hey, it's me. The guards fall down on his feet. He says, no, I'm Jesus. Let's go, go on with this. He tells Pontius Pilate, do what you have to do. They knew what was coming. And Peter says, through him you have come to trust in God. You raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Set your faith and hope were set on God. Because of his love, we're not just ransomed from one kingdom to another, not just adopted for a time, but one that is based on the resurrection, one that gives us the great hope that one day we'll be brought together and resurrected with him. And that's the good news that we have, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we've been brought into God's family, into his kingdom, with a great hope still ahead of us. That we are changed. Our hearts have been changed. And we're still changing. And all we have to do to share his love is to be obedient to him. To love God and to love others. And part of that loving others is to do what Cleopas did. When the opportunity arises, share what the risen Christ has done for us. Amen.